0: Hey, it's Luke Burbank. Welcome to Live Wire Radio. I am backstage at the Aladdin Theater here in Portland, Oregon, and uh, we are getting ready to do the show. It's going to be a fun one. Our theme is Timing is Everything. Uh, We've got Diana Nyad here. She set the record for swimming from Cuba to the U.S. without a shark cage. We'll talk to her about that. We've got Heidi Julevitz here, an amazing writer, co-founder of The Believer magazine, and... This is our show that we we do in co-production with the Wordstock Book Festival here in Portland. And they have a legend of American literature who is actually gonna be here at the theater tonight. And we talked this person into coming on stage. I wanna tell you who it is because it's so cool, but I don't know if I'm allowed to. So you're just gonna have to listen and find out for yourself. I promise it'll be worth it. And it starts as soon as I get out on stage. From PRI, Public Radio International. It's Live
1: Wire, recorded in front of a live audience at the Aladdin Theater
0: in Portland, Oregon. It's a special Wordstock edition of Live Wire with world record holder Diana Nyad, author Heidi Julevitz, and music from Blind Pilot's Israel Nebeker and our fabulous house band. And now the host of Live Wire. He's got fine,
1: Swiss craftsmanship and is water resistant to 100 feet.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you to everybody here at the Aladdin Theater, bringing you a show based in the amazing Portland Book Festival known as Wordstock. Our uh, theme this hour is Timing is Everything, and we're really excited because we have some amazing, amazing authors here from Wordstock. Although I will say, anybody who writes a book is amazing by definition in my mind. Why? Why? because it's really hard to write a book. Have you ever tried to like, write a paper in high school and you realize that it wasn't long enough when you were done, so you shrink the margin in? <laughs> and You make the title page like 74 font. Imagine the paper was 500 pages long. That's writing a book. I feel like we all have a secret dream of writing a book because I think most of us feel that we have a story to tell Most of us feel that our opinion matters, probably doesn't. I don't wanna step on anyone's dreams. I'm saying we feel that way though. We feel like we have something to say. And I think we can tell this because if you go on Google and you enter in the words, writers who, into the search engine, it will fill out the rest of that question based on what people have searched for on Google starting with those two words. And I think it exposes a nation of people who want to be writers. I did this today and these are the actual results. The number one result, the most popular thing searched for on Google if you type in writers who, is writers who don't read. <laughs> A Lot of people want to write the great American novel not interested in reading the great American novel. Uh, the second thing that comes up uh, most often is writers who started late, <laughs> which, you know, I, I, I identify with that uh, as somebody who has sort of dreams of maybe writing a book someday. You wonder if you've missed that window. Uh, the third and fourth most uh, common fulfillment of those words is gets kind of dark. Writers who kill <laughs> and writers who died young. The second one though, uh, writers who started late kind of gave me a little bit of an idea which was to try to figure out who out there can I model myself after? Who's somebody who who started writing later in life and had great success? And thankfully, the respected literary magazine (laughs) FlavorWire.com put together just such a list. I'm not sure if they're a literary literary magazine. They may be run by some seventh graders on their summer break. So I saw this list they put together. I thought, this is great. These are some people who I can model myself after. And then I looked at the list. Number one on the list, Charles Bukowski. (laughs) After spending most of his 30s and 40s in what he called a 10-year drunk, Charles Bukowski at 49 finally signed a contract and was able to quit his day job at the post office and write books full-time or enter what we now call his 30-year drunk phase, which was the rest of his life. Laura Ingalls Wilder was 64 when she wrote The Little House in the Big Woods, which went on to be The Little House on the Prairie, uh, TV shows and all of that. Uh, great books. I don't know how applicable those are to my life. Um, I didn't grow up on the prairie. I don't know one person named Almanzo. My wife... Refuses to let me address her as (laughs) half-pint. And then the last person on the list of these inspirational figures who got writing late in life is the Marquis de Sade. (laughs) Age 47 when he wrote his first book. I should mention, From Jail. Marquis de Sade, famous for writing about bizarre and... um, you know, uh, taboo sexual practices, also credited with coming up with the personal ad section of Craigslist, Um, which is one of the most mystifying things to me ever. Like, you want a lawnmower engine and a boat trailer and someone to spend the rest of your life with. (laughs) Craigslist is where you're going to find that kind of thing. I don't know if I am ever going to become a writer. I don't know if if I have it in me to write a book, but I did see something that I thought was useful, which is they say you're supposed to write a little bit Every day To just kind of exercise that muscle So I'm seriously considering Starting to return emails (laughs) Just to get that going Or googling great writers Who never returned emails (laughs) Thinking maybe I can get some inspiration there Should we get the real writers out here You guys on this show All right. Let's start here Our first guest is the author of four novels And the co-editor of the Believer magazine A couple of years ago she was excited to find her old diaries until she realized that when she was young, she, quote, possessed the mind of a paranoid tax auditor. <laughs> so she decided she wanted to do over and wrote The Folded Clock, which starts as a diary but quickly strays into fascinating meditations on creativity, parenting, crushes, and male dieting. Please welcome Heidi Julewitz to Livewire. <laughs>
2: Hello, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me.
0: Okay, so uh, you you found your old diaries. Yeah. And um, you started looking at them, and what did you exactly find?
2: Yeah, I mean, they were basically... Okay, so I feel like a lot of people... I mean, I don't want to make assumptions. I'm going to make an assumption about you. Okay. I bet you write in your diary to just be like... Bah right. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people use it's 40 pages, of right? Blah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, a lot of people, I think, see diaries as like, Oh my God, I love him so much. And he doesn't let me back. And I'm so right. Yeah. And, um, and I, for better or worse, I'm such a repressed person that, um, even when provided the form where I could potentially, you know, unload. Like, yeah. I don't. I don't. So when I say phobic tax auditor, it really is just like, today, Officer Friendly came to teach us about the new right on red law that's going into effect on May 1st, right? I mean, th- that was my childhood diary that I... I'm not kidding. That's like a direct quote.
0: We <laughs> Were you surprised that when you found this? Or did that square with sort of the no, way you was, regarded your younger no, self? No, it
2: was very, very, um, very disillusioning. Because <laughs> um, I had sort of told myself, you know, you have to tell yourself lots of things to keep yourself writing as an adult, right? Um, and so I told myself, well, I was fated to be a writer. Look, when I was young, I wrote every day in this diary. So clearly, I was meant to be this person that I've become, right? And so, but I never saw these things. I had not seen them for decades, and then I sadly came upon them. And, um, and then this myth that I had created about myself and my fadedness was quickly um, shattered.
0: But you never violated that right on red rule. I violated. That officer-friendly laid out because you so carefully detailed it in not your tax only, auditor record.
2: Not only do I not not violate it, I practice it in states where it's not legal.
0: So then you, uh, you, you decided to start keeping a diary as an adult. What was yeah. the process like? Did you write? Every night, like here's what happened today. No, it's
2: all totally a fabrication. Well, first of all, <laughs> I I was calling. Don't it- put that on
0: the cover of the no, book, by the no, way. No, totally no. a fabrication. Totally a fabrication.
2: Um, okay. Here's here's what was a fabrication. Well, first of all, one thing that was sort of hard about it is that I would tell people they're like, "What are you doing?" And I was like, "Oh, I'm I'm writing an adult diary." And then I was like, "God, that sounds like adult diaper." It sounded <laughs> so. Um, but what I would do is I would I would start every day with your classic diary. Um, beginning which is today today, today I frequently was today I and, and somehow saying today I it was just like boom boom like boots in the sand, you're just like and here I am and somehow saying that allowed me to kind of go everywhere or anywhere like it was sort of like a portal opening up, and and I could kind of like go into the past, or I could just look at the day that was happening. But to be honest, here's where the fabrication part comes in. I would say today, I, usually that meant yesterday. (laughs) But yesterday, I, I don't know, that just didn't have the same. It wasn't even about the ring of it. It was more just it didn't have the same kind of immediacy for me. So, but I've actually literally, because those two words kind of unlocked something, I just felt so freed by them that I... Like, I had to write a book review the other day, and I just couldn't get into it. So I was like, today I am writing a book review. And somehow that, right? Like, it's just, or you're like, today I am returning your email, right? Well, to- that's, I wondered
0: if that was, that structure helped you, because you've written all kinds of different prose. Yeah. This one seems very... Maybe it's not straightforward, but like you said, you kind of put your feet down and you go in a direction because of how it always starts the same.
2: Yeah. And then there was this thing I mean, I love how writers always make metaphors about things that they know nothing about. So (laughs) I was on a panel recently with somebody who was talking about woodworking. She actually was a woodworker. And I was like, God, I feel so embarrassed. I've made some. And she was making fun of Garcia Marquez. I guess he said something about like, writing a novel is like building a house or whatever, something like that. And she's like, that's BS. He doesn't know anything about building houses. And, uh, and it I... It sounds
0: like it was a saucy panel you were so, on. It was
2: so, so, so saucy. Gabriel Garcia
0: Marquez finally getting his come up into finally. re-woodworking.
2: You know, that dude's been asking for a takedown for <laughs> a really long time. Um, It just took, you know, finally the truth has been told.
0: Yeah. Heidi, hang on. Uh, we got to take a quick break, but I want to let people know we're talking to Heidi Julowitz. The book is The Folded Clock. This is Live Wire Radio. We'll be right back after this. This podcast is brought to you by Ergo Depot, makers of the Jarvis Standing Desk. And now, if you want a smaller footprint, but you still want the stability of a desk with some real substance, there's the Jarvis Jr., just as strong as its dad, but it takes up almost half the space, and it's adjustable at the touch of a button. So you can stand when you're feeling like the go-getter you are, and sit when you dang well please. Because you're an adult, and you can make your own choices. The Jarvis Jr., allowing the floor space challenged to stand prouder. Get more information at ergodepot.com Welcome back to Live Wire Radio, coming to you from Portland, Oregon, it's our Wordstock show. We're at the Aladdin Theater. We've got Heidi Julewitz here. Her new um, completely fabricated diary is called The Folded <laughs> Clock. Um, you, you have an interesting theory for not cheating on your husband when you go to writers' workshops.
2: Oh, yeah. And what, you
0: share that with us. Well,
2: actually, again, what is that was that
0: one of the things you don't remember? Yeah, writing? no, I don't
2: really remember that. What was it?
0: It seemed to have something to do with sizing up everyone in the room you might potentially want to cheat on your husband with and then, I guess, avoiding them?
2: Yeah. 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 I, um... I, uh... Does that not seem totally logical to you guys? (laughs) You talk
0: about that a lot in the book, though. You talk about how unhappy you were in the previous relationship, in your marriage. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is the person that you used to be married to, are they cool with that?
2: Well, I, you know, here's what I will say about that. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Um, Sounds
0: like it's kind of like the right on red thing. You're just playing it fast (laughs) and loose.
2: I feel like I really respected him a lot and I married him for a reason and I feel like that comes out and, and that was kind of the, like the driving motivation behind everything I wrote about. I never wanted to settle any scores. I really wasn't interested in that. I was more interested in situations where I was kind of confused by my own behavior or I thought maybe I had done something wrong. Um, so it was really, if anybody was going to be kind of victimized in the book, it would always be me. Mm-hmm. That was my rule.
0: One of the things you write about that is a very complicated topic is your attempts to have a sort of professional life and a stimulating life as an adult while still being a mother to a couple of kids. That's a riddle for the ages, but can you come close to a unified field theory about how that's all supposed to work together?
2: That's funny. I thought you said you talk about your attempt to pee in an air sickness bag. I thought you were gonna talk about that. That's the universal, is it not? That's the universal puzzle?
0: I don't want to bring up all the same questions Terry Gross asked you. <laughs> Can't get the lady off of urine talk for five minutes.
2: I know, I know, I know. Um yeah. Would you
0: rather talk about the yeah. about the air sickness bag than yeah. parenting yeah. while also yeah. working? Okay. Yeah, what would. happened with you and the air sickness bag?
2: Okay, so um, I, was, uh, I, was on an, I was on an airplane, and um, I was in the window seat, and it was a cross-country flight, and I tried really hard not to drink anything beforehand. I did everything you're supposed to do when you're stuck in the window seat for a cross-country flight at night, a, a red eye. Anyways... Um, you know, before the lights of Los Angeles even receded from the windows, I had to pee and everyone had fallen asleep, like dead asleep, sleeping pill asleep, never waking up asleep. And, uh, and so I thought it would be very, um, clever of me to pee in the air sickness bag because then I wouldn't wake anybody up.
0: Until it ruptured and leaked everywhere.
2: But it wouldn't, right? It wouldn't. It's, it's I mean, water. I don't know. I've never tried I it. haven't either. Well, I, was, I mean, I'm giving it away. I failed. I mean, I literally was crouched naked between the seats with my face in the crotch of a man who was asleep trying to pee in an air sickness bag. What I
0: don't know. What did you know. end up doing?
2: Well, then I just, like, beat myself up, as you do in these situations. You're like, do it. Pee in the bag. Right. I just did I mean, that. I've
0: never said that to myself, but I, <laughs> I understand it's a thing somebody might say to themselves.
2: I was really disappointed in myself, I'll be honest. I sort of feel like now this is like maybe on the way home tomorrow I'm going to try this again. I don't know. Okay. I, I, yeah. Anyway, so I finally just gave up and was very sad and felt like a failure, and then, then the people woke up. So I got to climb out over, and, yeah, I just did what everyone does, and I went to the lavatory, and I was just an average person again.
0: You wanted to be a special, I wanted, exceptional yes. person who whizzes in air sickness bags, and you ended up just being a decent human who uses the bathroom on the plane. Yeah. What a disappointment.
2: Second chances, baby.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. all about America loves a second act. They love a second they act, they yeah. Heidi Julewitz, ladies and gentlemen. The book is The Thank Folded
2: you. Clock. Thank you. Thank you.
0: I, I really can't recommend the folded clock highly enough. Uh, pick it up; you will feel great about your life. <laughs> Whatever is going on, I don't. I think Heidi heard me say that. I don't think she would even mind. Israel Nebeker is the lead singer and guitarist for Blind Pilot, an amazing band from right here in Portland, Oregon. It's a band that also happens to feature one of the members of our band, Dave Jorgensen. Um, Because Blind Pilot is from Portland, they were legally obligated to do their first couple tours by bicycle, amazingly, but now they're touring the world, so they've got to get in motorized transportation. The band's currently in the studio working on their third album, uh, which I am dying to hear as a huge fan, and we're lucky enough to get a sneak peek tonight of that. Please welcome Israel Nebuchadnezzar to Live Wire.
3: To get by on anything Hollow hope of what is coming A lifetime dangled by a string. But this ocean dives so deeply And this river runs so wide I won't be counted one among them Until my soul is satisfied Brick and brick of buried hunger Keeping all desire dark and then we are like lions, we're tearing it apart. There are those among us lying saying nothing is for free, and then we are like lions and we not leave until we Talks a failure A rabbit offers up its throat Will they buy even our breathing A river strangled by a dam Less than 1% are taken So tell me who dries up this land Is it worse to see no future Is it worse to be afraid fire in our veins, we are The sky still hangs above you Every day just wants to quit There's no light you see to guide you And it scares you just to say Then we are like lions Nothing dares get in our way see your faithless sails drifting And your truth just cut apart sacred
0: Israel Nebuchadnezzar, right here on LiveWire. All right, as we mentioned, this weekend is WordStock here in Portland, Portland's premier book festival. And we just found out today that there is an author in our audience. He's one of America's most beloved authors for books like The World According to Garp, Cider House Rules, and A Prayer for Owen Meany. Please welcome John Irving to Live Live. Somebody just threw their underwear on stage. That does not usually happen for authors, Mr. Irving. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. rapturous uh, reception
4: you got coming out. Is that typical for you? Thankfully, this is a younger crowd than I've seen lately.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, You've got a new book actually called Avenue of Mysteries. What
4: can you tell me about the book, Mr. Irving? Well, uh, it's a strange thing to be on a book tour and to want to say as little about your book as possible. (laughs) Um, I don't think that's how it's supposed to work. It's a... It's a novel about a Mexican-American who takes a a trip to the Philippines. He shouldn't have. But 40 years ago, he made a promise in Oaxaca, Mexico, to a young American draft dodger. He he shouldn't have. Um, But the draft dodger says, if something happens to me, my dad is one of those American soldiers who was killed in the Philippines in the Second World War. Would you please go and pay my respects to him if, if, if I don't get to do it? I, my novels are worst-case scenarios. <laughs> <laughs> you, the, the the process is very simple. I, I, I try to make you at least like... Someone, if not love them, at least feel sympathy for them, and then you should start worrying about what's going to happen to them.
0: I understand that you're going to read a little bit
4: from the book. As little as I can. However you want to do it. I, I, I hate it when other people give the story away before you've had a chance to read it. I really hate it when I do it. <laughs> um, um, this is from the sixth chapter of Avenue of Mysteries. And Juan Diego is, is already on his way, not very far, uh, toward the Philippines. He has a layover in Hong Kong. Already he's met uh, two women, a mother uh, and her daughter, the mother's name is, is Miriam, the, the daughter's name is Dorothy, and already he has a, a crush on this mother and daughter. He's seriously attracted to both of them. In time, not just yet, but in time, he, he will sleep with both of them.
0: That's sort of giving away the book, which I hear you're not, not a fan
4: of. I... I have to say this because I want you to know, if you don't already, that what happens in a novel is not necessarily a recommendation. <laughs> I, I, I really don't recommend this. Okay. Nothing good can come of it. Uh, it's Think of Oedipus. You know, you kill your father, you sleep with your mother, even your children will suffer. Right? So it's just a bad idea. So I just wanted to be clear that this is not a recommendation.
0: All right. Duly noted. John Hi. Irving, reading from Avenue of Mysteries.
4: The title of this chapter is Sex and Faith, which have something in common. You may not think they do, but, but they really do have something in common. Both sex and faith make people do things that are out of character. (laughs) (laughs) And they can both get you in a lot of trouble. The elongated passageway to the Regal Airport Hotel at Hong Kong International was bedecked with an incomplete assortment of Christmas memorabilia, happy-faced reindeer, and Santa's elf-laborer-types But no sleigh, no gifts, no Santa himself. Santa's getting laid. He probably called an escort service, Dorothy explained to Juan Diego. Enough sex, Dorothy, her mother cautioned the wayward-looking girl. From the testiness that infiltrated their seemingly more than mother-daughter banter, Juan Diego would have guessed... This mother and daughter had been traveling together for years, improbably for centuries. Santa is definitely staying here," Dorothy said to Juan Diego, "'The Christmas is year-round.' "'Dorothy, we're not here year-round,' Miriam said. "'You wouldn't know.' "'We're here enough,' the daughter sullenly said. "'It feels like we're here year-round,' she told Juan Diego. They were on an ascending escalator, passing a creche. The creche was surrounded by the usual cast of characters, humans and barn animals, only one exotic creature among the animals. And the miraculous Virgin Mary could not have been entirely human, Juan Diego had always believed.' Here in Hong Kong, she smiled shyly, averting her eyes from her admirers. At the creche moment, wasn't all the attention supposed to be paid to her precious son? Apparently not. The Virgin Mary was a scene-stealer. Not only in Hong Kong, Juan Diego had always believed. There was Joseph the poor fool, as Juan Diego thought of him. But if Mary truly was a virgin, Joseph appeared to be handling the childbirth episode as well as could be expected. (laughs) No fiery glances or suspicious looks at the inquisitive kings and wise men and shepherds or at the manger's other gawkers and hangers-on. A cow, a donkey, a rooster, a camel. The camel, of course, was the one exotic creature. I'll bet the father was one of the wise guys, Dorothy offered. Enough sex, Dorothy, her mother said. Juan Diego wrongly surmised he was alone in noticing that the Christ child was missing from the creche or buried perhaps smothered under all the hay the baby Jesus he started to say someone kidnapped the holy infant years ago Dorothy explained I don't think the Hong Kong Chinese care maybe the Christ child is getting a facelift Miriam offered not everyone gets a facelift mother Dorothy said That holy infant is no kid, Dorothy, her mother remarked. Believe me, Jesus has had a facelift.
0: John Irving reading from Avenue of Mysteries. Thanks for being on Livewire. This episode of LiveWire is brought to you in part by New Belgium, now collaborating with Ben and Jerry's for a new seasonal salted caramel brownie brown ale. Beer. It's what's for dessert. More information about the collaboration and how it helps protect our winters, an organization that combats climate change, can be found at newbelgium.com. Hey, if you're going to be here in the Portland area, do not miss our next show on November 21st right back here at the Aladdin Theater. We've got Paul Shear and Rob Hubel from The League and Transparent. We've got Wet Hot American Summer Director David Wayne plus free climber Alex Honnold and comedian Emily Heller. More information at livewireradio.org. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this podcast version of Livewire. You know, we would not exist without you, the listener, because what would be the point of doing this show if you guys weren't out there taking notice of it? Look, if you feel like Livewire has brought something great into your life, like maybe a band you love or an insight from one of our comics or our guests, please consider becoming part of our League of Extraordinary Listeners. Membership starts at just 35 bucks a year, and it comes with some great perks like members-only content and members-only jackets. Not the second one. But the first one, which is pretty cool. Visit LiveWireRadio.org to join today. And thank you so much. Our theme this hour on LiveWire is Timing is Everything. It could also, though, be fifth times a charm, since that's how many attempts it took our next guest, Diana Nyad, to swim from Cuba to Florida at age 64. <laughs> Without the aid of a shark cage Which does make a big difference We're going to talk about that coming up Since her record swim Diana has given a TED Talk Appeared on Dancing with the Stars And written a book called Find a Way Please welcome Diana Nyad to LiveWire Thank you I said this to you backstage, Diana, it is so good to see you not covered in jellyfish stings.
1: I know, Luke, once you see that end picture on the beach, I have nowhere to go but but up. I mean, it was,
0: as as each attempt happened and Mm. then, you know, for four of them did not come to completion and they would pull you out of the water, I just really worried for you. I'm glad you pulled this off and you're okay because the photographs were brutal.
1: You know, it's a sport that um, clearly reads like a litany of masochism. <laughs> uh, from the jellyfish to the sharks to the currents to the hours to the hallucinations, etc. When I did my first training swim coming back, after having this dream in my 20s and, you know, sort of reiterating the dream in my 60s, I wanted to feel alive and awake and tap every fiber potential in my, my being – I went to Mexico, and it was in a cold swim, long swim, a friend of mine brought me back to her house, put me in a tub, and her four-year-old daughter saw that I was distressed. She sat on the edge of the tub, and she knew not to talk right away, and, when she, and 45, 50 minutes later, I was recuperating, composing. She a little hand, and she asked the pertinent question, why? Yeah. yeah. Oh, the yeah. wisdom
0: of children. Oh,
1: yeah. That, it sums it up. Fair enough, right? Fair enough.
0: Well, you... I mean, you started distance swimming and open water swimming when you were really young, right? Right after high school? What was the appeal? I was
1: in my 20s. You know, I, I, I wasn't an Olympic swimmer. I had those sort of false dreams when I was much younger. But, my but you ta- were a state champ in Florida, yeah, though, right? So you champ, were no slouch. Slouch, I wasn't. Uh, yeah, I wasn't a slouch. But my great talent is covering the earth. I, 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 can, I can swim a distance. You could put me on a beach, and if we're going to swim a mile, whether it's you, or we could get thousands of people, you'd bet on thousands. If we're going to swim a hundred, you go to Vegas and bet on me. Wow. Um, yeah. So the, my my talent was uh, and is, you know, co- covering distance smoothly, and it's all about the mind. There, you know, how do you, how do you focus with a sensory deprivation? Your caps tight over your ears. You don't hear anything. You're you're. Eyes are covered with fogged-over goggles. You're turning your head 52 times a minute. You're singing Neil Young. You're thinking of Stephen Hawking. Is that? And I mean, then, is that what I mean, you're yeah. singing?
0: What Neil Young song?
1: Yeah. I mean, at three o'clock in the morning, most people think you must be singing Hallelujah. You're out in the blue jewel of the planet. I'm not. I'm singing. I hear you knocking at my cellar door. Ooh, the damage done. Hair addiction in New York City. That's what I'm thinking about out there. Yeah.
0: By the way, we are talking to Diana Nyad. The book is Find a Way. Uh, this is Live Wire Radio. I'm Luke Burbank. Um, what is you know, you tried this four times to swim from Cuba to the U.S. without a shark cage. Mm. First of all, let's talk about the shark cage thing because number one, it keeps sharks from biting you, but number two, it also breaks up the water, right? Makes it a bit easier to swim?
1: More than anything, it, it adds speed. So, yes, you're, you're gonna be 100% safe to be in a big steel cage. I don't, I don't fault anybody who wants to swim in one. But if you're going to swim in one, you're gonna have an asterisk next to your name. It's against, it's against the rules of the sport because these eddies, is how Jack LaLanne pulled the Queen Mary. Yeah.
0: Don't it, you say anything yeah. bad about Jack LaLanne, no, no, Diana. No,
1: and I, and I wouldn't, and I wouldn't, but he, you know, he, he knew physics. And so if you're going ahead in a structure, even if you're going two miles an hour on average, little, little eddies start coming around the side of that cage, and then they come around the back of the cage, and pretty soon you're going two to three to four times your normal speed. Wow. So it's not just that sharks have a better chance at you without the cage. You know, you want to give them a fair go as you're going across. <laughs> um, you, you're, you, you, you can't swim in one because you're going too fast. You're going above your speed.
0: So you were doing this without the assistance of a shark cage. Yeah. What really were the challenges, though? I mean, what are the things people don't understand about what is going to occur for you when you're out there in the water?
1: The box jellyfish is the most potent venom on Earth of any animal in or out of the water this is usually a fatal sting if, and it's a little size of a sugar cube this animal it's 600 million years old and it stings to perfection a little shard of a of a of a of a tentacle from your edge of your wrist up to your elbow carries with it 300,000 harpoons and when that tentacle whips to the skin those harpoons fire that venom into your central nervous system you feel your spinal cord paralyzing your breath goes down to three or four you are in full-on anaphylactic shock and when I was wrapped up with those tentacles in 2011 I thought I was going to die I should have died and honestly Luke I think it was will people can't measure the power of the human spirit I think it was will that got me through that
0: Well, this has been great because I have a new sea creature to haunt my nightscape. (laughs) So thank you for that, Diana Nyad.
1: Let's just say you you, you might be eaten by a shark out there when you're 50 or 60 miles offshore and you have the oceanic white tip, the lemons, the tigers. These are dangerous, aggressive sharks. Chances are they're... You're not their food. Um, we've got electricity on the bottom of kayaks, putting out an elliptical field. How about my shark divers? How am I going yeah, to you, you how had am a I team of those people. guys? Yeah.
0: You should have got some jellyfish divers.
1: Yeah, no such that thing. Sounds... That's, that's the point. Is the sharks, at least you, you see them, you have a chance, and the chances are they aren't going to bite you, but the jellyfish are always there. They're always swarming by the millions since global warming has come, and that is, in that particular ocean, th- those are, that's a life or death situation.
0: So how did you avoid them or tolerate them on your fifth swim when you actually accomplished this swim from Cuba to Key West.
1: Well, on the fourth attempt, we had used the highly technical pantyhose solution uh-huh. uh, over the head sure. uh, with just a cutout of the mouth. And sure enough, bam, they stung the mouth and went into the anaphylactic shock. So the next year, I worked with a prostheticist. He's this great guy named Stefan Knaus. And he made, a, he made a silicone mask that, uh, you know, when people are blown up with grenades and so on. Um, so they're waiting for their skin grafts. He made one for me. It took us nine months, prototype after prototype. It was difficult to swim in. Every time I'd be slapped in the face with a wave, I'd take in that salt water and vomit in the mask and have to pull it up and clean it out. But I never would have gone back the fifth time without that particular protocol.
0: Uh, We're talking to Diana Nyad. This is Live Wire Radio. Um, So as you managed to get closer to shore. This is on your fifth swim as you're finally doing it, this intense, incredible record you're trying to accomplish. Um, What's going through your mind? And did it feel... Did the swim, I guess my question is, overall, did the swim feel different? Did it feel like this is going to be the one?
1: No, you always think it's the one. You know, every time you stand on the shore, I stand, stood in Havana five times over 35 years. And every time I looked at it, that horizon with hope, with absolute belief that we were going to make it to the other shore. But this last time, the second night, I was cold. You know, you go through hypothermia. I was, I was, I was, I was, I was hallucinating. I thought I saw the yellow brick road right under me and then it, it wasn't Dorothy and the Tin Man, the people who should be it was the seven dwarfs and they were trudging. Well, that's how you know
0: it's a hallucination Yeah, no, your that's Disney it. characters that's, are totally yeah, mixed it was up in,
1: inappropriate yeah. and they were trudging along and I stopped and I yelled to Bonnie my trainer, Bonnie, do you see the yellow brick road and the seven dwarfs right under here and she looked over and she said Yeah, yeah, I see them. And you know what the great thing about them is? They're going right where you're going, so you follow them for a while. (laughs) No, you're you're you, you don't you, you're not in a different you, you're not going to make it because you're in a different frame of mind. You're always in in that courageous frame of mind. We made it because we were we had the chutzpah to go a fifth time, and uh, you know it's 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 the way Teddy Roosevelt says, "You you go ahead and sit in your comfortable chair while this guy gets in the ring and he gets bloodied and he gets dirtied and he." Th- suffers and he fails. Well, you know what? I'd rather be this guy than be the timid soul who doesn't try, who doesn't d- doesn't risk failure and then will never know success. I want to dare greatly, and that was our team. We didn't care if we failed over and over again. We'd rather dare greatly. To me, this was a maybe impossible star that was going to require as I said before all I can be. I wanted to live at large. I was reading that Mary Oliver poem every day. And at the end of her, the summer's day, Mary Oliver says, tell me, what is it you're doing with this one wild and precious life of yours? Not
0: enough, apparently, after talking to you.
1: That's, that's, I knew I needed that. I knew I wanted that. I had turned 60. My mom had just died. And I thought, I know what I'm doing. This, this one wild and precious life. I'm going to chase that impossible star. And, you know, the, the people who were on that shore, thousands of them, they were weeping when we finished. It wasn't because they saw some athletic record broken. That's clear. What they saw was a person who would never, ever give up. Wow. Like,
0: So, after accomplishing that, now you're walking across America or something? Yeah, I'm
1: going to walk across America. Sitting is the new smoking. We've made ourselves sick as a nation. I'm sort of preaching to the choir in Portland. Everybody's on their bikes. Everybody's walking. Very cool. Very cool. But across the nation... You know, we're talking about childhood diabetes and whatnot, so we are going to walk, my buddy Bonnie and I, we're going to walk next summer from L.A. to D.C., and we're going to get a million people to walk with us and just say, let's get up and let's become a nation of walkers. It's called EverWalk. You guys come out and join us.
0: I know why you're doing it. You're doing it because there are no jellyfish <laughs> on land, and I salute you for that. Diana Nyad, ladies Thank and you. gentlemen. The book is Find a Way. That was Diana Nyad walking through a neighborhood near you this summer. Live Wire Radio brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines. Now, with nonstops from Portland to Austin, taking you from homebrew to barbecue in around four hours. Alaska Airlines keeping you connected nonstop. More information at alaskaair.com. Please welcome back to the stage Israel Nebuchadnezzar.
3: I can't say Bye now.
0: Israel Nebuchadnezzar, Live Hour Zone Dave Jorgensen, a couple of the guys from Blind Pilot, and that's our show. Thank you so much. All right. Here we are back in the uh, little tiny green room where I'm hiding out. Uh, thank you so much to everybody who helped make that show possible. Heidi Julevitz, Diana Nyad and Israel Nebuchadnezzar from Blind Pilot, Uh, plus a special surprise visit from John Irving. See, now I can say who it was because before it was supposed to be a secret. Uh, This show is made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Ergo Depot, and Alaska Airlines. Hotel accommodations generously provided by Provenance Hotels. Robin Tenenbaum is executive producer and co-creator of LiveWire, Courtney Hameister is head writer and producer. Jim Brunberg is also a producer and editor. Our house band is Dave Jorgensen, Jonathan Newsom, and Ned Failing. Jason Rouse is associate producer and part of our writing team. Also, Alex Falcone is a writer on our show. And we had guest writers this week, Bree Pruitt and Ben Coleman. Thank you so much. Molly Pettit is our technical director, House Sound. By Paul O'Brien, our recordist was D. Neil Blake. Special shout-out this show to Amanda Bullock. Andrew Proctor, and all of the wonderful people at the Wordstock Book Festival here in Portland. Thanks also to our Marketing Director, Laura Haddon, our Development Director, Kim Bergstrom, and our Operations Manager, Lauren Masterson. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council, the Meyer Memorial Trust, the Oregon Arts Commission, James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation, the Maybell Clark McDonald Fund, the Oregon Community Foundation, Work for Art, the Multnomah County Cultural Coalition, and listeners like you, Fine people. For more information about the show or becoming a member of LiveWire, visit LiveWireradio.org. You can download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud and find us on Twitter and Facebook at LiveWire Radio. I'm Luke Burbank, and we will see you next week.
4: PRI, Public Radio International.